Welcome back to A New You Radio, the podcast that makes you feel like you're walking into the barbershop in the middle of a heated argument. If you, have your, if you want to have your comments mentioned on our show, make sure you leave a comment or a message to stop on our social media accounts in the description. So. Interesting. Why is that interesting? I thought you were going to remix it. I mean, I was, but then you was kind of like, you kind of like it like it is. So I just kind of like rolled with it. Well, let's hear the remix. I'm curious now. <laughs> Mike, you nit. <laughs> we're, we're actually joined today by Curtis's son. <laughs> if you didn't know, That's now you know. Joke. What are you talking about? But anyway, uh, I used to get mistaken for fifth back in the day when I was a lot smaller. But any, anyway, uh, no, we're going to leave, leave the record in. Let, let me work on a remix for the next show. Fair enough. All right. So, but anyway, here we are. A new you radio back again. Um, on 11-20-2019, uh, want to welcome everyone once again, and of course, uh, introduce ourselves. You got me, uh, Michael Levant, Big Mike, for all you guys out there who will be uh, hosting and moving the topics right along. We got my man Banks in the building, as always. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and that's John. And of course, the creator, Josh Waring. What's up, Josh? Greetings, Earthling. All right, so <laughs> another show. We're going to start these topics off, move them along, and um, kind of uh, give you guys an intro to each and every topic and segue as we go. And I want to thank all the listeners that we have already. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback, uh, any critiques that we get as well. We'll try to keep bringing you better and better shows overall. So to start with, uh, some good news, inspirational news, uh, news and pop culture. Uh, some things have happened over the last couple weeks that we want to uh, talk about and give some shouts out to uh, in our culture. First and foremost, there were some um, uh, teenagers in the city of Baltimore. And, Squeegee uh, boys. And apparently um, they figured out a way to turn a small, I guess, um, uh, job into making a lot of money. And as John said, they're called the Squeegee Boys. Um, you want to give a little detail about that, John? Um, basically, it's a group of young men from uh, what was it Baltimore, Baltimore, and uh, they were basically, uh, you know, doing what typical young kids in the neighborhood and with a lower income, uh, impoverished area, were trying to figure out ways to make money. And these kids basically were cleaning your car, your windshield, you know, for a little dollars just to get to pay their phone bill, you know, and help out. And um, and this is what I always advocate in regards to you can't do anything by yourself. Mm. You got to have somebody there to guide you. You got to have a coach. You got to have a mentor. You got to have somebody That's big facts. that recognizes something in you to make a smaller picture into a bigger picture. And basically what happened was um, these kids were, would get yelled at. Uh, people would scream racial slurs to them. And mind you, these are little kids. And, but they, would, they were so persistent in their, in their ability of wanting to make money, just something just to, to get by. Hustler spirit, absolutely. Basically, yeah. And um, they happened to run into a... Uh, Forgive me if I get some of this information wrong, but they ran into some sort of uh, community liaison 
from uh, the Maryland Institute of College of the Arts. And basically, and I believe this person's name was uh, Kai Crosby Singleton, so shouts out. Um, basically, she recognized the their vision and brought them into a... Uh, Baltimore has an event called the Thinkathon. Okay. Basically, where it's an event where creatives uh, meet up every year and they build and brain and forecast ideas. So basically, she brought them into the group, um, and long story short, brought them into an, another group of thinkers where they were actually able to get a grant for five thousand right. dollars, and they also were able to get a uh, business plan, and also have. Uh, was it um basically helped them draw up their business into basically going from the squeegee boys into corner boys enterprises where they're actually they actually bottle and sell water and um they were able to start this with a five thousand dollar donation mm. and they're actually able to go from the corners of cleaning random cars which they still do actually and sell bottled water yeah, I thought it was an amazing story, and it's funny because Josh said a few minutes ago, hustler's mentality, and their motto actually is freedom to hustle, and they have that uh, embolized on the back of each and every water bottle, so I think that's kind of dope how they how they have that on there, and the uh, Crosby Singleton, he was saying that uh, he respected, you know, the hustle, he wanted to show them some other options, how they can make money efficiently, so I think uh, what they started and what the help that they received I think it's just a good a good look for our culture. Right. And to check the, to check these guys out, their website is kbzenterprises.com. kbzenterprises.com by a case of water support the support the local ground. All right. Shouts out to the uh, the Corner Boys. And um then another great uplifting story from from the culture is um which uh which Josh actually sent us here. Um, so maybe you could touch on it a bit is the black owned uh, juice bar that partnered with Whole Foods, who was a huge company in Kansas City. So what's your uh, take on that? Tom? Well, I thought it was pretty cool because it was a partnership with Whole Foods and it was a like you said, a juice bar in Kansas City. So I'm curious to see if it really picks up steam and has the potential to be a, you know, a a franchise perhaps in other Whole Foods or specific states or areas. And that'd be a great way to, I guess, encourage people in our community to eat more healthy. I think that'd be fantastic. I definitely agree a thousand percent simply because the owner and founder, Chris Good, the whole, the whole reason behind uh, the healthy juice bar and creating this particular business because of his uh, late grandmother who passed away at 61 because of uh, type 2 diabetes. And he honestly believes, which makes sense, um, if his grandmother honestly knew about cleansing and juicing and eating the right foods, she would still be here today. So that basically gave him the, the tunnel vision to create this particular shop where he sells natural juices, uh, also serves food and um, healthy eats. And basically, he's one of the number one distributors in Kansas City. That's the reason why uh, Whole Foods decided to place him into that particular store because of how much business he was getting. And I just think that's just really, really awesome in a sense of just like 
using a setback and try and turning it into and turning the darkness into light and really using something that hurts you into make it better for other people. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, he's he's doing two things. He's, you know, creating um, a black business, which is already good. And but also uh, educating and 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 our culture on how to live more clean and more healthy. So it's like he's doing two things at once. And, and it's great because you've been seeing that movement within our culture within maybe the last 10 or 15 years of people eating and drinking healthier and, and healthier uh, over time, you know, which is good. And a lot of juicing is going on and, and things of that nature. And, and it's good going away from some of our older stereotypes with some of the uh, foods and, and just not caring to kind of caring and appreciating your health, you know over time so i kind of think that's a good story too so shouts out to um chris good chris good and the uh the juice bar at the whole foods in kansas city ruby jeans juicery <laughs> ruby jeans juicery and one more story from people that you might actually know or recognize um uh from the movie uh, you might recognize them but um the women from the uh who were portrayed in the movie Hidden Figures, where the actual women who did these great feats to help the NASA and the astronauts, they actually received, uh, are going to receive it? They receive it yet? I believe they're going to receive the Congressional Gold Medals. Congressional Medals from Donald Trump um, soon. (laughs) And we laugh because he didn't do a lot of great things, but I will give him kudos for this because I think they deserve it for you know, what they did overall. And just, uh, you know, we'll get into some other black culture movies a little later on. But um, just to see that portrayed on screen made me go back and read more about their life and who they were and, um, and, and, and what they did. I mean, I thought that was one of the better movies overall. But um, the fact that it was just about women and their intelligence and their mind uh, in our culture. Mathematical precision. Right, and not about some athletic feat, which we normally see. Human computer. Right, I thought it was great. So, uh, any thoughts on that, John? Um, I just, I just think it's just a great, a great moment in um, Black history, especially with Black women. Um, it's just the idea of getting the highest civilian award in the United States and uh, finally getting recognized for something that was considered a secret and. In a sense, an embarrassment to to a, to, to a certain extent. Um, I think it's really great that uh, uh, they are getting a chance to be recognized. It's just it's a shame because I believe two of them passed away out of the five. Perhaps I think because one sure what well, one one was a uh, I think one's still alive though. Right. She's like a hundred, yeah, which is crazy. With the uh, like with the movie, somebody uh, consulting on the movie actually, but yeah. Um, so shouts out to. Katherine Johnson, Dr. Christine Darton, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. You guys are very inspirational and uh, happy you're finally getting uh, some just do, not just with the movie, but the actual uh, Congressional Medal. And um, and that's some of our topics and news and culture. And then some local news, which is also uplifting, seeing as we're right here in Trenton, New Jersey, recording this podcast. And um, as is the shop. As is the shop. Shouts out to Jazz and the New You for a New You Radio, of course. Um, so five teenagers from uh, Trenton Catholic Academy, teenage athletes, 
uh, received Division One letters of intent. Shout out to Sierra, Manaya, Gianna, Wisdom, and my boy Jameer. Absolutely, and also have to shout out Reggie Coleman. He's the one who uh, who posted the article, he, and he's also a TCA alumni. So shout out to Reggie Coleman, and he also has a Trenton-based podcast called The Playmaker Podcast, which is dope. Everyone should check it out. Definitely got to check that out. You got to send us these links, Josh. Like, come on, we can check that out. I sent you the TCA link. Yes, but not the Playmaker Podcast. But anyway. Yeah, again, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll check that out. But um, I thought that was great. We don't see a lot of our local uh, student-athletes. Uh, a lot of times, uh, well, at least that many from one school having Division One letters of intent. So that shows that they worked hard um, on the field or, or court as well as in the classroom. Because if you if you know anything about uh, going to a Division One school, uh, whether you're a great athlete or not, you have to maintain a certain grade to even go to that particular school. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who played for a Division Three school. Shouts out to my man Jordan. And he was telling me that a lot of the athletes at uh, his school um, were good enough or were recruited by Division One schools, but didn't have the grades. So for these kids to be able to to go and, and still get the scholarships is a great thing for them, educational-wise, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big deal. And hopefully we'll set a trend in the city, which I think would be fantastic. Which will be good. Um, so shout out to them once again. Oh, and I also wanted to share uh, a movement that I recently learned about while in Brooklyn the other day. So has anyone heard of Rodney Reed, that case? Yes, yes, heard about that. Right, so I just had to shout that out. Everyone check out freerodneyreed.com. So he's literally on death row in Texas for being convicted of kidnapping and sexual assault. But there is a mountain of ev evidence that already exonerates him. So as we're in a law office, just have to mention it. Mm -hmm. So any type of, you know, support you can give, freerodneyreed.com. Check it out. Did he recently get a stay of execution, I think? Did, last Wednesday. Right, 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 right. Which is Okay, Mike. <laughs> Mike is up on his current events. I try to be as much as possible. Um, so uh, moving right along from our local news and our uplifting inspirational stories, we're going to get into some, um, I guess, media slash Internet news, which goes right along with pop culture. A couple things that happened over the last uh, last couple weeks, actually. So um, and it's interesting to me. So there was a, um, so so Lakeith Stanfield, um, if anybody knows him, he's on the show Atlanta as a regular character uh he also played uh andre in the movie get out if you've seen get out um as well he was the first guy that got kidnapped and kind of brainwashed uh in the movie get out and he's a good actor he's actually a really great actor to me and i like lakeith stanfield and he made a statement this week about black media outlets which included um the shade room uh the breakfast club what are some other ones, John? Included. Um, Shave Room, Breakfast Club. Uh... Oh, it was three or four. They they included. It wasn't just single and one out. However, his statements um, was talking about how he thinks some of the black media outlets um, don't sometimes show the black culture in the best light. 
and he ended it saying they were anti-black, which might have went a little too far, maybe. But his point was that some of the things they do um, by putting people in different lights promote uh, negative uh, comments, as well as they kind of uh, popular, uh, uh, popularize things like what people you know are wearing or things of that nature versus what people are, are not wearing or, or what they're doing. So... I don't really want to get into the back and forth with him and Charlemagne, at least not quite yet. But as far as those black media outlets, do you agree or disagree with him, Josh, on what they, on how they do for black culture? Well, what is the main source of income for anything media? Black dollar. The dollar, but ratings. Right, ratings. Okay. And as we know, with, absolutely. So again, with all news and media agencies, it's trauma and drama and anything that to be sensationalized it's a formula that's repeated and rinsed all over the world so if it's specifically in black culture then the answer is yes and it's actually directed at us okay so you agree with him but do you feel as though those outlets should change their formats to kind of well again who are these media outlets owned by because not all of them are black owned it's true too so are you thinking that some of those owners or let's say uh showrunners or whatever it is are 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 moving the narratives and changing the topics themselves, you think you're thinking? I mean that's part of the show. I mean to pick the topics that literally give you the most ratings and or the most what social media shares and posts. Right. Okay. What were your thoughts on the whole Lakeith versus the black media outlets? Uh it was interesting. Uh definitely with uh his disc record, disc record automatic, which I thought was uh, he should just stick to acting. Ish. Um, <laughs> the beat, the, the beat was lit though. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Ish. Um, I like Lakeith. I I really think he is a standout in what he does. Um, his mannerisms is. I think a lot of people tend to take his outbursts a bit too seriously because if you look back at the interview that Charlemagne pinpointed to in some of the interviews that Lakeith has done, um, especially going back in the focus of the Breakfast Club interview he did and how he was uh, basically taunting Lakeith in regards to when he asked questions about the Moors and and Lakeith gave a response so he was high and then like some of his other antics with the uh, Doggy Style album and then him being infatuated because of the dog's ass and stuff like that. But... To his defense, because Lakeith put out a video, which was about 15 minutes long. I watched it. Of him responding. It was really good, actually. Yeah, he basically responded as to why he was acting like that and why he was giving those responses because he honestly felt like the Breakfast Club was targeting him and they weren't asking him serious questions. So he was going to go into character. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to just mess around like because they don't really care about my views. So I'm just going to play along with them because I know this is what they do. And then hi, then he goes into points of where, like, how are you going to say, like, I'm not for black people, I'm not for black media when I do the same thing on other channels? Like, I may not do it in the same context as with, with you, but I do the same thing. I may joke around on other platforms. It's not just black media. And Charlemagne was really toning in, honing in onto the things that he was doing on other platforms and saying, like, how come you don't do this? For us, or when you come on us, because his main point was because you don't take me seriously, so I'm not going to take you seriously. And 
I think the way he was really expressing himself and the passion of how he was really describing all those things, I can see where he's coming from in regards to how Charlemagne can be really, really direct and how the Breakfast Club, you know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. And they're going to play on whatever that or whatever things that they see or the things that he portrayed in the past of what he of what he's done, they're gonna go off of that, and they're gonna play on that. And I think instead of Lakeith like going falling into that trap, he should have went against it and did something else. If because of you could just see by the backlash he's getting right now by him doing all this, you're giving you're giving Charlemagne the fuel to add on to it. I could definitely see that. Um, did he get donkey of the day? He did get donkey of the day, and that's why, and that's why he responded. He actually took every single part of Charlemagne's donkey, where he's talking about the fifteen-minute video, and everything Charlemagne said. He responded to each and every part of it. Some of it was, you know, it was, it was really, really good. I thought he, 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 he responded very, very well. But getting back to the the actual um, start of the situation. Uh, John, do you think Lakeith was a right about black media outlets in general, like Breakfast Club or the Shade Room, and how they portray a black culture to get the views and hits and all that good stuff? Well, what he said, um, I feel like he's right and wrong because I don't think it's just black media that mm. does that. Um, I think it's all media. Okay. Like, look at Fox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it's you don't know <laughs> all media in general really like there's not really many out media outlets that really possess the truth and really go for the hard hitting facts right. and when it comes to even with some of the stories a lot of the stories are fabricated or it just doesn't just it just seems too good to be true and the narratives are not always doesn't necessarily always carry the facts and I think Lakeith should have did a better job of describing that as well as opposed to um pointing out these black outlets and so it's like it's like a it's like i see one side and i see the other side i think he just could have done a better way of presenting it i suppose okay. it's just you know putting us down and i think what, what Charlemagne did he was just defending like listen like bruh it's not it's not just us right. like there's other medias that do there's other media outlets that do that too and i think if lakeith really presented that idea he could Charlemagne's donkey of the day wouldn't be as valid to many viewers' eyes, just off of what he said, because he can run off about you like, okay, why are you bringing us down? But why are you not bringing um, Jimmy Fallon and all them, all them down? Like, why are you doing this and giving them flowers and all this and all that? <laughs> so it's like, I get it, but it could have been done a little bit better. Right. I mean, I think I think Charlemagne went too far when it comes to why you give the white man flowers. I think he was giving the host of the show flowers. I think it was a black guy. He was still on the Tonight Show, whatever it was. Yeah. He probably would have still brought flowers, but um, yeah, it was a low blow. Um, I think his original point, though, um, I think that I agree. Whoever it is, uh, entertainment, even going back to like the initial part of TMZ, they moved the needle by making people look bad a lot of times, which then you know generated the comments that they get which made them as big as they became mm-hmm. so I, I agree that it's all outlets not just black a- outlets but however why can't we be better right a- a- as a culture just because they're doing it why do we have to do it and when i go to stuff like the shade room at times and I, and and you can clearly see sometimes i'm sure you've seen it too that 
they they make this post knowing that this person will have negative backlash, especially if the person is already somebody who um, hasn't been, uh, let's say, viewed well in the recent public eye. They'll post them doing something, knowing where the comments will come from. Where, and then they, they'll make comments on the post, like, um, let's say a person's singing in their car, and they really can't sing. And they'll say, such and such is um, out here really trying to hit these notes. Knowing everybody's going to say, she needs to stop singing. I don't know why she's singing in the car. So sometimes, like, creating a negativity is where I guess I see where Lakeith is coming from. And I think there's got to be an avenue where we can still exceed in our uh, exceed without creating negativity um, based off of what we post. You think we can? Well, we think we have to have that. Uh, my, my thing is, you know, we just really got to hold ourselves more accountable in regards to our actions. And to Lakeith's point, when it comes to black media and black outlets and black reality TV, and then you have people like Mona Scott who creates these stories <laughs> right. that exactly are completely, completely out of, out of context when it comes to black relationships and how we act on a day-to-day -day basis, how we deal with issues and debates. And it's embarrassing. A lot of it's embarrassing. Then you have, like, with, with the scandal right now with the Omarion and April Jones and what's his name, Fizz? Lil Fizz, yeah, Lil Fizz, the uh, B2K band members, yes. Right. And he went on, he went on, on to say like, Omarion specifically says like, I'm never gonna do reality TV again because he was a, considered to be a private person. And then you have April Jones going on Nick Cannon with literally printed text messages from Omarion, like, oh, look what he said here. In response to that, and it, it's just like you got all this has to do with media and what was presented and like these storylines that are fabricated that are not necessarily true and people are believing it this nonsense and then when you get this it just creates all this drama and all this unwanted energy and then you get situations like going back to Charlemagne and Lakeith and then you got to go through these stupid battles which don't really make any sense but there's other things to talk about so you Josh as a content creator yourself and of course you know a lot of times these uh um, negative stories can move the needle. Do you feel like us as a culture, we can try to be more positive towards each other, but still be able to move the needle, get the views, get the likes, get the comments? Well, here's the thing. I have to agree with Brother John here because he said accountability. So right. that's personal responsibility. You know how much Josh loves personal responsibility. Yes, so if we're going to watch it, and I, I can totally see Jazzo saying this, if people are going to watch it, they're going to keep putting it out unless unless you're going to put your money where your mouth is, your attention and time where your mouth is. If you want to keep giving that energy, they're going to keep giving it to you. It's literally supply and demand one on one. I agree with that. I had a conversation this week and um, talking about 50 cent and. Um, oh, you're a alleged father. <laughs> Shouts out to fifth. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, I have a friend of mine who thinks he's just an Internet troll. And he just doesn't like 50, like, at all. And he's like, I'm mad. His, his exact comment was, I'm mad that people still have love for him. Interesting. Okay. 
But if you go on social media, which he does troll a lot, but one thing I love about 50 is he's always consistent. He's always been the same person. Thank you. And I love consistency in an individual more than anything. So if you go on social media, though, he's not really loved. He's hated a lot of places because of some of the things that he does. However, what I told my friend, goes back to your previous comment, I said the same person who will write a comment saying, I hate 50 Cent, hope he goes somewhere and disappears, will be watching Power while writing this comment. So, again, as long as you still support his uh, ventures, he's not going anywhere. So that accountability is what you're talking about. And I believe in terms of what you're talking about, which you know I also love, which is intellectual consistency, we're seeing this is exhibit A of cognitive dissonance. Agree with that 100%. So um, I guess hopefully the Lakeith and Charlemagne thing is over. I don't want to see things move forward. But, again, shout out to Lakeith Stanfield. I think he was right. Um, hopefully we can start being more positive amongst each other in our different outlets. Um, moving right along within the same media topic, and um, Aubrey Drizzy. Drizzy Drake Graham. Drizzy Drake Graham. Well, that is show recently. Um, and actually – Got booed and heckled. Well, I learned later from some groupies from Toronto that apparently it was a show for Frank Ocean. What a show for Frank Ocean. And then do, do we know why he, like, he, did he cancel or did he have a scheduling conflict? Well, it, the thing was, um, it was from, it was Tyler, it was Tyler Creators Festival, whatever it's called. And where is it? Um, I don't even know. Hmm. It doesn't really matter. I, I wouldn't want to go to it anyway. <laughs> But I think like Tory Lanez brought this up today on the Breakfast Club, like as he said, him and Drake talk about talked about it, and then Drake gave the famous response of it was a humble, a humbling experience, which which was a a great a great response, a great response, which works onto his behavior, you know, and how Drake is the nice guy and all that. Great great marketing move, um, but the whole point of the audience, the reason why they were getting so angry and how. Frank Ocean was supposed to be there because there was like a rumor of uh, Tyler having a big guest, a surprise guest. Because Drake wasn't on the wasn't on the was like on, wasn't on the showcase, right. and, but Drake was the, the it's a big surprise guest. And Tyler Creator loves Drake, and he considers him the one to be big. I mean, he is one of the biggest artists of the world. Right. And he brought Drake out. And Drake is performing, and then you see people realizing like, okay. And then they see started getting into a set. They're like, where's where's Frank at? And they start screaming, Frank. And Drake is, there's a part where Drake is like talking into the crowd, like, listen, if y'all want me to continue to rock on with y'all, I'm here for y'all. I just need to, I just need to know. And then next thing you know, they're like, yo, get off the stage. Like going up, like, oh, boo, booing him. Where's Frank? Blah, blah, blah. And then Drake was like, all right, I'm out. Yeah, just for some more context, uh, Tyler the Creator and, and Frank Ocean have a specific type of audience. So Drake, if they're going just for them, um, Drake is not is more mainstream and they're considered to be an audience who are against the um, the mainstream audiences. They're kind of like want to be more like underground low key. So when they see a mainstream audience, a mainstream performer come out there, it's kind of like, yo, get out of here. You're not you're not for us. So. The humbling aspect of it, I think, can be good. Sometimes you need to get knocked down a pick. Kind of like uh, 
the Wash King, uh, uh, LeBron, you know, this year. He felt like last year, he uh, and we'll get to sports soon, but, you know, he felt like people could come at him, and all of a sudden he's, he's, he's doing great. So sometimes. But, I mean, that's not anything new to LeBron, and it's not really anything new to Drake, which is probably why they're colleagues. But Drake has never been booed, and definitely not booed off stage. Well, in all fairness to Aubrey, in this specific situation, that's no consolation prize. Even if you're going to see Frank Ocean and Tyler, their creator, I mean, Drake is a lot more valuable than both of them combined, personally. And I, and again, I'm not that big of an Aubrey fan, but I can at least see that value. Like, it's a lot. It's going to be a lot harder for those people to go see Drake perform live than it would be Tyler or Frank. So they, they kind of got more than they were asking for, and they still complain, so I'm not really cool with that. Well, it's like you giving me... Um... It's, it's like you. Yeah, I was waiting for someone to do a metaphor because I would love to break this down. It's like it's like you ask me. I'm telling you, I'm hungry. I tell you, go get me some food, and you go and you bring me a super size value meal and extra or whatever nuggets on the side. Right. So yes, I was hungry, and yes, I asked for food, but you, you, you gave me an abundance of it. But. You're, you're really complaining about that. You're complaining about seeing Drake, who's considered one of the best performers in the it's business. It's not the type of food I wanted. It's not the type of artist I wanted. Yeah, but you ate it, though, didn't you? Come on, man. No, they watched. I, I booed him off stage, and I threw it away because it's not what I really wanted. Oh, my gosh. I'm just saying, like, John, what, 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 do you agree? Are if it's not what you are, want, it's not what you want. Are people really complaining about seeing Drake perform? Yes, apparently. That's outrageous. I, I mean, I hate to be judging. Shout but out to I, Toronto, too, but yeah. I mean, the Tyler creator's fan base is a bit different. Right. And I guess Tyler should have known better in regards to the type of artists to bring, even though Drake is literally the top artist in the world. Which is why they don't like him. That's the whole point, though. But you said that they're friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. So surely there has to be some correlation of fans since Drake is so mainstream. Right. But I just think it was an oversight with Tyler with that with because apparently with the festival that Tyler has, like the it's catered to certain artists. And apparently there was a very big rumor of Frank because Frank doesn't perform like that anymore. And he's very low key, like especially if his last album was like what, four years ago? And he he doesn't really make public appearances, and then with Frank being down with Tyler's with Tyler's crew, it can automatically seem like oh this is like the big artist that they're talking about because Frank Ocean is considered high low key a big deal in regards to his production and who he's written for, um, and what he's done in a short time span. But I mean, it's still Drake. Like I would have been, I would have been happy. Like I would have been like, listen, kick the front because literally it was only the um. Apparently, it was like the front crowd really booing. Right. Everybody else yeah, was like cool with Drake fans. being like, there. Yeah, on. and I'm like, man, kick them out. I'm trying to enjoy my show. It was enough to where he heard it and he left. And I, I, I still disagree. I still think that if you're going for a certain type of genre. I don't care what else you're giving me. I, that's not what I want. Here's the thing. So, again, little anecdotal story from Josh here. So I was fortunate enough to go to Two Meadows concerts, the festivals in New York City at City Field. So the first year, the headliner was Yeezy. That's when he famously rushed off the stage. That's when Kim got kidnapped. 
So I was literally at the show. I was actually snapping it as he went off stage. I didn't even mean to do that. He's just like, oh, yeah, I got to go, which is hilarious. But then the next year was Hove, right? And in that same weekend, you had Nas, you had the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you had Gorillas, and you also had, we were supposed to have The weekend. Right. However, he actually essentially canceled his performance and dissed the show and he went to go perform on SNL on SNL which I don't you know I don't have a problem with he was exposing his brand right. his album just came out okay so instead you had J Cole fill in okay. J Cole is no consolation prize especially when you had uh chance right before okay i mean okay so yeah you were expecting the weekend but do you think people really were upset that they got J Cole I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure the weekend had a really strong fan base of people who were like not happy. But like you said, it was like night and day, right? Yeah. They they were still thrilled to see J Cole. That's all I'm saying because they appreciate the talent and the ability. So that's what I'm like. I and I completely understand, but it's kind of like it makes it, it takes a lot of let's say maturity to take. Uh, negative situation and take it positively. That I don't. That I mean, that I, I agree with wholeheartedly. But I think it's not as as um as cut and dry as like this guy couldn't come, so this guy came. When it comes to this specific situation, only because these people are like against the mainstream, kind of like fuck the man. We like are you know more uh low key underground type people so you see one of the most the biggest mainstream artists out there who started right where at the bottom where they are so you think they would appreciate that journey that plight yeah i just think that some people in music going back many many years you know you know even people who going back to the to you know to, 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 to the 80s or not late late 80s early 90s and there were some of these uh Seattle like uh grunge bands, right? Who were like the who was like the 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 start of the grunge rock and roll at, at that time, like Nirvana and a bunch of those different groups. And you know, like even them, like it took years for some of their followers to 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 follow because they were used to them in these low lit lounges performing and again, like against the mainstream. So when you have that kind of passion, I feel like it just led to that you know, type of boy. Again, it's Drake. So I would have been happy. I mean, I don't really like Drake that much. I think he sings too much and he's not a good singer. However, I just, I feel like it was Drake. So I will still, you know, watch him regardless. So I just feel like that passion is what led to it. But again, like you said, it might've been 40 people out of 2000. So my question to both of y'all and serious question, what is mainstream and what isn't? Cause last time I checked all the people on that stage have record deals. So why do they consider, and maybe John can speak this, why do they consider Tyler, maybe Frank, less mainstream than, let's say, Drake? And Frank was on Magna Carta with Hove? Like, what? Or Tyler, Tyler particularly, because his concert, his fan base. like. Um, I, I, I really think it's just based upon numbers and presence and uh, visibility in regards to airplay. Like, don't get me wrong, Tyler has a, a strong fan base and, and what people would consider like artists who are not as big but they have strong fan base so whenever so whenever they tour or they put merch out or they put music out they know they're having like that solid 20,000 people who are going to buy for them is going to buy for them like they're never going to 
in a sense, go out of business because they have a strong fan right. group. Whereas Drake or a bigger artist may have more casual fans to an extent, okay. but they also have a larger demographic of what they, of how they perform. Like when Drake comes out, he's selling out. Right. Like Drake is going to sell tickets that are like five, six hundred thousand dollars, meet and greets, two thousand dollars. Like you, you do a song with Drake, it's going number one. Right. So it's not like what he's saying is what I can, I guess I can, I get what he's saying that maybe Tyler makes songs not particularly worried about it going to number one, so to speak, but to speak to his audience. That's fair, but he has no possibility to get the number one anyway. So he's he's staying in his lane. I get that. But if he was in Drake's situation, he wouldn't be upset. So I think that's complete friend. <laughs> no possibility? No, nah, not at all. And Drake wasn't upset. Like no, at least, wasn't upset at all. especially yeah. with with like what special with Tory said, like they were talking about it. Like you know, what's, what's funny is that at the end of the day, it tells you how big Drake actually is because it became such a story for the one time in his life he got booed on the stage. So it tells you that you know he, he got booed before though. Okay. Like smaller venues, yeah, but right. he got booed. But that's just because out once again it was out of his element. Like it was a crowd that doesn't like Drake. And that's what I mean. I just think people sometimes just like what they like. I guess that's the best way to to put it. I think music people in particular are super passionate when it comes to what they like from their ear. But then that whole thing about, like we were talking about, even going back, right? Um, and you were watching, remember the, um, the Wu-Tang series, right. right? And they were talking about how um, they didn't want to go, you know, pop. They wanted to stay street. And right. stuff like that. And the minute Rakim did the, 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 the song, everybody was clowning them like, yo, what is this and whatnot. So they, again, he didn't want to make songs caring about if they were number one or not. He didn't care about what the marketing was saying and stuff like that. It was more about, I'll make music for the people on the street who love my fan, who, who love this type of music. Right. So I think some artists are just like that, where Drake, like he said, is more of a general artist, where he speaks to the general audience and not saying, like, speak it's okay, you guys like this, I'm gonna make this. And, and he's and, and, and he's great at it. I, I hear what you're saying, but if we just examine the demographics right. of Frank Ocean fans, <laughs> who are ladies, they probably have a few Drake songs on their playlist, especially when they want to have fun, let loose, and do the type of things that you would do at a music festival. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I agree with that. So moving forward, hopefully Aubrey, you know, <laughs> did get a little humbled by it. If he did, I think it's a little good. And also that he doesn't go to another Tyler Creator concert. <laughs> but to be fair to Drizzy, again, if – if Tyler saw that and it's your show, you got to come out there and do damage control. You, if, if that's your boy. Yes, you, I agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of left him high and dry there. Like, yo. I agree with that. He might have should have came out and said, you know. What, sometimes, sometimes I don't know what he would have said, but he should have came out. Yeah, just diffuse the situation. Yes. Like, you know. Yeah, don't leave him high and dry out there and walk out away. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but just, just the look at him walking off stage was very, very, you know, funny to me. And I just checked the location. It was L.A. People in LA love Drake. That's why I'm like, really? Josh, you got to get this out of your mind. It's still with a certain type of demographic who went to this concert. Again, I get that. Right. I get it. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just what it is. Um, and in terms of, let's say, Tyler and Drake, yes. But Frank and Drake, no. no. That, right. That's all I'm saying. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, moving forward to something more serious. Um, still talking about news.
and um and 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 all cultures really but especially um been getting heightened within our our, our black community and black culture and uh as a topic about sex trafficking and um, and human trafficking as well human trafficking uh kidnapping um things of that nature which is very even tough to talk about to see us you know it's going on so much and um i believe josh has some actual numbers that might you know really shock you and um maybe some ideas we could do about this right so first i have to get a shout out to my co-worker twa who actually went went and graduated from willie p university and she actually took a class her senior year about human trafficking so she literally has all the up-to-date stats and the actual i guess tactics that these people use to lure people into these essentially they're like slave cults so you have people who are in who are being trafficked themselves either as sex workers or just as recruiters and same things that people in the cults do they go to public locations like malls and even she was saying at Quaker Bridge in Oxford Valley so in our own backyard they're recruiting there so they're saying things like so that was the question I asked you like okay what are the things that they're saying to lure people so people can be aware of it so things like this if they're saying that they're part of a church and they want you to join things like that and they just randomly come up to you and wait for you like in the parking lot or they can put tracking devices on your car things like that so if we're going to go get into the numbers and this is from the voice of black cincinnati because i was just getting some general information about the topic as a whole in our culture so the title of the article is african-american human traffic and numbers will astound you and i was astounded once i saw these numbers so in 2018, more than 4,000 calls were made to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. 62% of human trafficking suspects are African-American. 52% of all juvenile prostitution arrests are African-Americans. 40% of victims of human trafficking are African-Americans. So essentially, we're doing it to ourselves, similar to slavery times in the you know, the slave trade commission and all that where people in Africa were literally selling some of us, some of ourselves in the slave trade and benefiting from that. So that's literally it's history repeating itself, unfortunately. And um and and just to hear that those numbers kind of in a in a state of awe, you know, especially um human traffic human trafficking in general, um, sex trafficking, uh, especially with the young african-american woman myself being a father uh of a daughter you know makes me definitely very weary and worried out here and um and uh, what josh was saying earlier was a, a friend of mine uh reina shouts out to reina sent me a post that a uh, co-worker of hers just yesterday was almost uh lured um into a car i guess for a um what, what could have been a kidnapping and she didn't have more details of how it happened, but I'm gonna get it and find it out later. But either way, it's just um, very uh, crazy that's going on. What, what are your thoughts on it, John? Um, it, it's scary. It, it, like it's it's really scary because um, I never really, I guess I I was not one of those people that are naive towards the reality of things, and I didn't really think about it until I went to Atlanta, and 
uh, by far, Atlanta is like one of the highest states for trafficking. Right. I was it's like, like number one, Georgia. Well, not, not Atlanta, the state, but Georgia. <laughs> um, with the numbers being reported where they have over 375 cases of being the highest rated in the United States. And then when you go to the airport, it's literally human trafficking, sex trafficking signs everywhere. And every five minutes, there's an alert. Make sure you're alert. Watch your surroundings. If you have ch- small children with you, make sure you have them held. Like, and, and I'm thinking, like, is this really a thing? And, like, it's just real? Like, I didn't think stuff like this was real. And like, you know, and then you go back and you think back towards, like, movies like Taken and, like, stuff like this is actually happening right in front of you. And mm. when you see stuff like that and being in New Jersey, I think believe I think New Jersey is like the 14th ranked 14th in the nation of cases and like just looking back at the experiences I remember when I was younger um there was there was a girl I went to school with and she was a part of that and you could see the signs, you know, um she didn't have a strong family didn't have siblings um mom was mom didn't care for her dad was barely there wanted to fit in uh would do anything to to feel appreciated and those are easy targets and then looking from afar like her going into a transition of trying to fit in when it came to going to school and then being around certain guys and then getting lured up into uh, strip clubs and then getting into porn and then selling her body. And you're looking at it it's like, damn, she's playing herself. But then you're looking at stuff like that. It's happening in front of you and you're not doing anything to stop it or voice any concern of like, yo, what are you doing to provide some sort of like foundation? Like, yo, stop. But it's just something that you really got to take ownership of and really give more concern and more responses to what you see every day because this is a serious issue especially when it comes to people of color and it's something that we really have to uh not look past i agree with that so with that being said i mean what is looking at the numbers which are staggering um talking about some of the stories you know which we know in some of the different parts of the country what do you think we can do to try to you know i guess prevent or or bring the numbers down or, you know, as a as a culture, as a people, like any any ideas come to your mind, Josh? Well, I know this might be incendiary considering our culture, but the number one thing will be snitching. Like I feel like this is this is kind of necessary because it's affecting us. It's not giving any positivity to anyone except in a monetary sense. So apparently some of the type of let's say figures involved are public officials teachers, police officers, judges, lawyers, and family members who are all literally just taking quick payouts to, you know, sign someone up for slavery. Because, again, it's not just sex trafficking. It's labor trafficking. So, and imagine if, you know, they're either a refugee or, you know, maybe perhaps even an illegal immigrant. So even if they get caught, they would actually get arrested for prostitution or deported, and then the same process would happen all over again. I mean, snitching is, you know, like you said, it's not, uh, I guess, uh, one of the best things to say in our culture. But for something like this, I can definitely see how it can come into play. And maybe, you know, people know people are telling 
and maybe kind of slow things down. You have any thoughts on how to improve it, John? Um, I think the biggest things really is like, um, especially younger people, if you go out, make sure you go out in groups. Um, you go out to clubs, uh, events, just watch out for your drinks. Um, you're going out to the mall, you're going out to stores, you know, make sure you watch your surroundings. If you have kids, uh, make sure they're in front of you at all times. Uh, have a buddy system. Uh, people watch around where you where you park. Uh, always send out your location, no matter what. Um, to, if you're going to like the bookstore or whatever it is, like your your daily activities, always tell somebody that like I'm going here and I'm gonna be at this place. And if you don't ever get a response, at least be more accountable of what you're doing and be more aware and let more people know what's going on. Don't get into this box of where like it's me and only me. Don't ever, because that's like the ultimate thing that people go for in those situations that people that are vulnerable, people that feel unwanted, people that feel that the idea of being something, you got to be more, more, we have to, we have to have more accountability for people like that. We got to be, we have to take ownership of wanting to share our time and speaking out as opposed to walking away. And apparently there's three specific times of the year that are the most active for these kidnappings. So apparently it's the holidays now. Right. And specifically New Year's Eve and the Super Bowl, which is interesting. Large crowds. Absolutely. So my question to you, Brother Mike, as a parent, what what, what are the type strategies that you would probably implement for, you know, your daughter? When she gets older, um, and I mean, I mean, the hope is that honestly some of the numbers are down by then. Just you know, overall, if it's not, I really feel bad, you know, for our culture. But nevertheless, um, you know, it's funny the dates that you mentioned. So the holidays, Thanksgiving is the biggest travel day of the year, right? And then you got New Year's Eve, one of the biggest parties days of the year, and the Super Bowl probably right behind it. The biggest sports event of the year. Right, and when it comes to travel and partying. So the numbers do correlate. It, it does make sense. Um, and, of course, I couldn't say, like, um, stay home during these particular days. I'm never going to say that. But I think some of John's um, thoughts um, are, are very good as far as, you know, going in groups when you go places, keeping constant contact on where you are. I think some of the technology that we have, instead of um, going against it, make sure we communicate with our kids to why they need to embrace it as far as the locators on our phones, right? So we're like, if my daughter's on a family plan, I can always locate her phone or her watch or things of that nature. Um, Having things like, uh, I know on like some of the, some of the watches on the Apple watch, like the moment, like you have it to where the moment you hit the ground, if it feels the impact, it calls out to an emergency contact. So maybe, you know, things of that nature, like you feel something happen and hit your watch. So it calls me right away, gives me your location, just educating her as much as I can. And also educating her on, on that is an actual reality, right? Right. So not to, not to scare her. From I don't want her to be a, a hobbit and just you know stay in the house, a hermit, stay in the house all the time. But I do want her to know. Listen, this can actually happen to you, so be as careful as you can. So I think constant communication and education, and depending on where she's going in her life, making sure I don't um, just uh, just say okay, have a good time. Like we really have conversations about this because. You know, especially, and I want to go more into not just in the United States, but in other countries, especially, 
it's even harder because you don't sometimes speak the language. You don't have a lot of people around who's able to help you. So if you do go, let's say, on a girl's trip, quote unquote, to let's say Mexico or wherever, DR or something like that, they sometimes they definitely pray when they know you're from uh, America and things of that nature. And and stuff and, and they may be even more privy to say let's kidnap these girls and once you're gone in mexico it, it's gonna be tough to get you back i'm gonna be quite honest with you and uh, it made me think because you know i'm a movie guy it happened in the movie rambo right where his his uh his niece got kidnapped and she was a part of a sex trafficking cult same thing with hostile right same thing with hostile and like john said taken that's a great example and taken actually you know as 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 well and then you know, once again, so I would say definitely the moment she says, yeah, we want to go on a trip to Mexico. All right, let's talk. So that would be me, you know, situation. Yeah, just be mindful of what you do, what you drink, who you surround yourself with, um, and what you do. Yeah, I would say, you know, try to do as much homework as you can, especially on any type of place where you're not from. Um, even if it's in the country without, but things like tour guides, who, who is this person, you know, do some more homework on that, uh, the resorts you're staying at, um, or even like, I, I, I get mad at these, these types, but like the Debbie Downers of the groups of, you know, somebody who's like, who's taking control. And, you know, as we grow up, we, let's say we're talking to a group or whatever, regardless if it was, if it was girls talking to guys or or guys talking to girls, and then you have the one person that like, oh, she's not talking to anybody, or he's not talking to anybody, and stuff like that. But stuff like that makes sense, and especially with how things are happening right now, designate somebody each night to watch everyone, like somebody who's not drinking as much, and somebody who's basically the designated person. So if something does get out of hand, or somebody does drink a little too much, at least you know at the end of the day, somebody's there watching you and having your back. So I'm guessing when we take a new you radio, different locations, that's going to be me. <laughs> I'm guessing. Since I'm the person of the group who doesn't drink to to watch the guys, make sure they're not becoming, they're not getting kidnapped. Because I, I would hate to see, you know, Josh in a sex trafficking ring. <laughs> How that would play out. Well, usually I'm the responsible one when it comes to, you know, being out and about. Usually I'm the DD. Okay, uh, what, what's a good thing? We already know banks. Ba you know. Battle the designated. Listen, I feel the love. It, don't, it, I feel the love in this room. Don't you feel it too? Look at my bodyguards. <laughs> Just watching him and uh, his uh, New York trips on his uh, IG. We already know how, how he do. But seriously, that's a serious topic. If you don't, um, if you don't really know much about it, please educate yourselves, and um, you know, and, and try to figure out how we can fix this overall within our culture. So that's our uh, our news and pop culture, you know, for tonight. I think we had some interesting topics. Hopefully you guys like what you heard. Like, uh, leave your comments, and, uh, and we're going to move right along. Music.